Thank you so much. Welcome again to Bethel Church. Welcome those that are watching online. When you feel safe, we welcome you to come and be with us. I want to talk to the men first. First of all, I want to greet some very, very special guests. Uh, I have nephews that are here today with their families, Jeremiah and Andrew, and I love these young men. Can you guys wave your hands so I know these are my nephews who I love deeply. And um, their families with them. Uh, and we're so grateful to have them. I feel so honored to have them today. I want to talk to you that are men. Uh, men in our culture have really no advocacy group. Probably nobody's marching for you or making a big deal, but we're so grateful for you and for what you do and for what you have done. We have some good men in this church and some good men in the house, faithful to their families, faithful to their wives, faithful to their kids and grandkids, faithful to work and provide and fix things and take care of things. And, and often hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of labor and laying down your life without a real expectation except maybe breakfast in bed every once in a while. So I, I don't know how to say it, but in, and I know being a fellow myself probably sounds like maybe I should have somebody else up here, but to all of you who do what you do so faithfully, men, we are so grateful for you and we honor you. As the scripture said, and thank you for being here today, bringing your family to church and humbling yourself before God, singing his praise. Now, let's, uh, so thank you, men, and happy Father's Day, those of you who are fathers. I was talking to an elderly lady one day who I revere, and I said, how's that new church going? She said, I, I'm not going much because they're in a sermon series right now on sex. <laughs> she said, ushers, take a note at who laughed at that. Um, <laughs> she said, they're having a sermon series on sex right now, and she's an older lady. She said, you know, at my age, I am not really interested in a sermon series on sex, she said. People my age, we don't want to go to church and talk about sex. We want to hear about what's going to happen after we die. <laughs> That's what she said. Now, aside from the humor of that, she was really onto something. And this is a sharp lady. She was not saying sex was not good. She was not saying sex was not important. I mean, she's a mother and a grandmother after all. What she was saying is sex was not ultimate. It's good and wonderful and a gift and important, but it's not ultimate. And she says, at my age, I want to hear about things that are ultimate. So the big idea of the message today, I'm going to tell you so if you fall asleep, you will still get it. Don't be distracted and don't be discouraged and don't be seduced by the things of this world because they cannot ultimately satisfy, but set your heart on ultimate things. This is the way Paul said it in Colossians 3 and verses 1 and 2. And you've heard this. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. So in order to do that, we're going to look at the last chapter of Revelation, the last chapter of the Bible, really the last section of the story. Today, there's two more messages today, and Lord willing, 
next week. We've seen this holy city, the New Jerusalem, from the outside. Today, we're going to see it from the inside. We're going to ponder things eternal and ultimate. Now, the question has come up, and, and, and often in conversation midweek, people say, how much of this is literal? How much of this is figurative? How much is literal, and how much is symbolic? How can we get our, and so what I want to say today, before we look at this passage, and we say these five verses, is the answer to, is it literal, is it symbolic, is yes. Yes. It's both. If we're consistent in our interpretation, we have to see that Revelation is a sequence of events with some double back, forward so forth, but basically a sequence of events and places that are true in space and time, literally true. But you would have to be very ignorant of the rest of the Bible not to see the rich symbolism that is in it. Now, there is a place in Oak Brook, Illinois. I've been there, and you know what it's called? It's called McDonald's University. It's called Oak Brook, Illinois, a real place. We stayed overnight there one time at the McDonald's University. For all the money I've spent at McDonald's, they should have paid me to stay overnight there. I'm telling you. The McDonald's University. The question is now, is it a university? And the answer is, well, not really. It's a symbolic use of the term university. But is it a place where they train employees and leaders? Yes, it is. Do you learn there? Yes, you do. Is that what you do at a university? Yes, it is. So it's sort of like a university, but it's not a university. It's the, the, the term is used symbolically, but it really is a place of learning. It's a little bit like that when we look at what we see today. And I want to show you some, some things that are real and that are powerfully symbolic and what they will do, I think, if you, if you pay attention to them with the inner heart of your hearts, they're going to help you set your mind on things above and not be discouraged or seduced or distracted by the things that are around us that are good but not ultimate. Let's notice the five things here. Number one, there's a river in the city filled with the water of life. Did you see the movie, A River Runs Through It? This is a passage of a city and a river runs through it. And not just any river, a river of the water of life. This is a city. It's a real river with a symbolic significance. It's one showed by the angel, Channel 22.1. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. Wow. Can you imagine a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb? That's some poetry right there. It's a real river and symbolic in symbolic of what? It's symbolic of satisfaction. This is, a, this is a symbol Jesus loved to use. Do you remember this? In the Gospel of John, one of, my, one of our favorite Bible stories really must be in, in John and chapter 4. Do you remember this? We call it the story of the, the woman of Samaria or the woman at the well, you're right. You guys have been to church before. And in, this, in the conversation, Jesus has this conversation with this kind of lady that, you know, she's like us. She'd, she'd made some mistakes in her past. And, well, maybe she was kind of living in her mistakes too. 
And Jesus really loved her and cared about her. Enough to have us sit down, eyeball to eyeball, face-to-face, sweet conversation of all the key leaders Jesus could have had an audience with. He found this, this woman who may not have had the best reputation, and he talked with her tenderly, and he made her a promise that's shocking, right? You, you know the story. It's in John chapter 4, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God, he says to the lady at the well who's looking for water, who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He was talking symbolically, right? The woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get living water? She wasn't getting it yet. Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus is like, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. Jesus loved to use this symbolism of the water of life. I love it. I guess one of my favorite passages is in the Bible is John 7. Of course, I kind of like them all, but John 7 and 37 on the great day of the feast. Jesus stands up the last day of the feast. Jesus stands up and he cries out. This bunch of people in a public place, he says this. Imagine a, a human being, because Jesus was God, but a human being, standing up in a big crowd on a festival day and saying something like this. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. That's an amazing thing for a human being to say in a big crowd of people. I can satisfy your thirst forever, and you'll have living water flowing out of you. What was he talking about? Anybody know? He says, now, the, the passage says, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So all of us who believe in him, after he is glorified, have the Holy Spirit. That's like a river of living water that will continually flow out of us. The only way to stop it is to grieve or quench or resist the Holy Spirit. But if we don't do that, a river of living water flows continually out of every believer. We're looking for good things from you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You ought to be a source of life to people. And this is a symbol of wonderful satisfaction. In Flint, Michigan, we ran a hotel, helped run a hotel. Our son came one day, says, Dad, I just saw a homeless guy. I was looking out the window down on the river, and the Flint River was at that time real super clean. And he said, I saw a homeless guy, and he was sitting by the river, and he took a styrofoam cup out of his pack, and he dipped it in the river, and he drank it. I'm going to go down there and buy him some lunch and get him something nice to drink. Jesus is watching us drinking out of a styrofoam cup, water out of a polluted river, and he says, we can do better than that because I have living water. And this heaven is a place of a river flowing from the throne and of, the, of God and of the Lamb, pure as crystal, filled with living water. Wow. Number two, there's a magnificent boulevard in this city. 
paved with translucent gold. Verse 2, um, through the middle of the city, street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, its leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. You have a, you have a golden, a translucent golden boulevard with river running through it and trees uh, around it. These are real, as a real river symbolic of of fulfillment, of satisfaction. The magnificent boulevard paved with translucent gold, a real gold street, symbolic of ultimate or lasting value or lasting treasure. So, so let's keep it real simple. When you look at this, you think, how much of this is real and how real is it? It's like what really matters is what, he, what God is communicating to us is the reality of the fact that we're, our ultimate destiny of a believer is satisfying and valuable. That's the idea, clearly the idea. No matter how you interpret it that, you couldn't escape that the, the poetry here is saying this ultimate place for us is a place of ultimate satisfaction. The world is good, this is better. The world is important, this is ultimate and a place not only of satisfaction, but a place, a treasure, a, va a valuable place. It, you, you can't help but think of the teaching of Jesus. I, I did when I thought of this. I can't help but think of the, the beautiful teaching of Jesus in, in Matthew chapter uh, 6, verses 18 through 24. Now listen to this. Um, I'm, I said 18. I meant 19. Matthew 6, 19. Don't lay, just Jesus said this. Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is it, this is it, hear, hear this. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And that's why we read Revelation 22 with a trembling heart and we say, this is my ultimate place in my city. This is what I value. Your kids are likely to value what you value. Not what you say you value. People are sharp. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Meaning, if you're greedy, your body will be full of darkness. But if you value the right things, you, you, your, your body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other, or to be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and money. You've got to decide, God or money. Will your money serve God or will you serve your money? And your heart will be full of darkness. This is um, interesting. I, I'm going to speak at a camp this week on an island. How cool is that? Does that sound cool? Thank you, by the way. I love you and thank you so much for letting me go away and speak. I, I miss you when I'm gone, but, I, but I'm speaking on an island this week, which... Sounds cooler than it really is, but I am speaking on an island in Lake Erie, <laughs> in Ohio. I mean, anyway, it'll be fun. I'm speaking to senior high kids on an island. Um, I'll have speaker's quarters when I get there. Maybe they'll have a fruit basket. I don't know. Probably not. Uh, I'm wondering if there'll be air conditioning. You just wonder these things. It's speaker's quarters. When I get there, I'll lay out my socks and my shirts and my jeans and my stuff in my Bible, and I'll set up my little place. I'll be there for a week. Temporary lodgings, you know. I probably won't, you know, remodel. 
I probably won't decorate because I'm just going to be there for a week. It's speaker's quarters. Hopefully it'll be comfortable. Folks, we're in temporary quarters here. We don't want to get our roots down. This is not where we belong. We got a job to do here and we want to enjoy it. Of course we do. But it's not ultimate. It's important, but it's not, that's what Jesus is saying. That's what John is saying. That's what the angel wanted John to see. And John wanted the church to see. And the Spirit wants us to see. And that is, hey, there's a place. And in this, this place that we live in now, it's beautiful. God made it. He wants us to enjoy it. But he wants us to share it like an appetizer, not just sit there and eat that. And then because we have an ultimate place, look in 1 Timothy. And this is another powerful passage. This by Paul in 1 Timothy 6. And listen to what he says. Verse Timothy, it's 1 Timothy 6, 6. Um, godliness with contentment is great gain. You see the play on words there? That's tricky, wasn't it? Godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into this world. We cannot take anything out of this world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich, not just rich, but if your desire, if you set your heart on that, right, will fall into temptation, a snare, senseless, harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered from the faith, pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Wow. Verse 11 says, you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness. Go after godliness. Go after love. Go after faith. Steadfastness. Gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you were made. Make the good confession in the presence of let me just keep reading. This is like some sweet passage of Scripture. In the presence of many witnesses, hear this. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus, of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. Listen to this beautiful superlatives about Jesus, about God. He who is the blessed only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion forever. Now this is ultimate. He is ultimate. This is the one who made us, for whom our hearts long, and will only find our joy, satisfaction, and delight and ultimate fulfillment in him. And as for the rich in this present age, don't make this into heaven, he's saying. Charge them not to be haughty or to set their hope in uncertain riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And be good and be rich in good works and generous and ready to share, thus storing up a treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. There it is again. It's the same thing. It's the same big idea. Don't be distracted, seduced, or discouraged by this world because there is this ultimate world, and that should fill our hearts with purpose and joy, and it will satisfy us. This magnificent city. We traveled in Mexico. I might have told you about that. And our family, our whole entire family, except our oldest, Kyle, was on the bus with kids, and, the, and we, we, we drove into beautiful Mexico, and it was really, really hot, and the air conditioning broke, of course, because when you go with a church on a bus, it will break down every single time, every time. 
it's not a church trip. If the bus doesn't break down, bus broke down. It was so, it was so hot. Driving through the night, the bus driver was a little deranged. Uh, he's with the Lord now, so, you know, I can trash him if I want to. He was, a, he was a little weird. He ran into a tree, you know, dented our bus. I, I, if I told you about that trip, but, but I'll tell you one thing. We, we, they kept saying there's a hotel in Horsetail Falls, and we're going we're gonna to stay overnight in Horsetail Falls at a hotel, Monterey, over the mountain. This will be great. Remember that? So we, remember that, Hopi? So we go, we go to that. It was like really cool. When we got there, it was like in the middle of the night. We're gonna, we got to leave to do ministry at 6 a.m. So we get to be there from like, you know, midnight to 6 a.m. We were really looking forward to that stay in the luxury hotel in Monterey. So when we got there, they put us in our rooms, and we were super tired. Whole family was just wiped out tired. And they gave us our quarters, and we got into them, and I was a little irritated, to be honest. I wasn't letting anybody know. I was trying to keep a happy smile, and, and did. I was a little bugged, a little irritated by all the stuff. And they got us to our rooms, two rooms, put our family in two different rooms. We got them there, and as soon as we got them there, they called me back to the main desk. When the leader said, Pastor Pierpont, we want you to come back to the main desk. We've got to change your room assignment. I'm like, get your act together. It's the middle of the night. I'm tired. They said, we, we're going to put you in a different room. I'm like, okay. So I found them in the new room. And they remember this? They found, we found them down the hall. They go, we want you to stay in the presidential suite. Because the leader of the trip was alone. And he said, well, I've got a big family with me. Let me stay in a regular room. Let's put them in the presidential suite. So they open up this huge presidential suite. We got to sleep for two hours in the presidential suite. <laughs> and leave it. It was like kind of cruel, actually. You kind of had to like, that was a really nice uh, place where we slept for a couple. I mean, it was pretty amazing. Balcony overlooking Monterey. Folks, you know, don't unpack your bags here in this world and settle all in. Because he's going to change your room assignment someday. And you're going to stay for a long time in something that will make the presidential suite seem pretty silly. This is, if the Bible's true, and it is, that's powerful, isn't it? Number three, there are only five. So we're almost there. There are groves of beautiful trees in the city, trees of life. Groves of beautiful trees, trees of life. It looks like one but smart people say the grammar says more. This is uh, the regeneration. This is the restoration. Real trees, symbolic of well-being and fruitfulness. It's like the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. It's symbolic of well-being. Do you ever have a, a really good meal in a really safe place? And your blood sugar spikes just a little bit. And you just have this wonderful feeling of well-being. And you're like, let's build three tabernacles here. Uh, it's kind of like Thanksgiving, and you're, if you're, this is for men and, and not for ladies, and the ladies work all day, and we eat and then go watch football. Like that, you know, that great feeling. <laughs> that great feeling. Okay, ladies, you can start listening again. That great feeling of well-being or, or maybe of guilt-free well-being. What we're saying here is that for all the nations, the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. There's a sense of, of well-being and a sense of flourishing, there's a truth of flourishing, the symbolic of real trees, but symbolic of flourishing. I was laying on the couch one day years ago, and I was reading the passage of Scripture in Ezekiel, description of heaven and the fruit trees, and it hit me. I'm, I was laying on this couch reading, 
And outside, it was the spring of the year, and outside was a flower, right outside the window was a flowering crab. It was in its glory, its beautiful flowers. And then I read that, and, and I realized, listen to what it says, it's kind of interesting. In verse 2, the middle of the street of the city, on either side of the river, the tree of life, 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. May I exercise my sanctified imagination? Okay, so if you have fruit every month, is it not continually blossom time in heaven? Some's blossoming somewhere all the time. I'm, that's what I think. And I think if we, I, I just think there will be seasons in some, in some wonderful, weird way, it'll always be blossom time in heaven. But there's certainly a symbolism of beauty, of flourishing, of flowering. And, these are, and then uh, Hendrickson, uh, a, a, a wise student of the Bible, commentator, he says, the term tree of life is collective, like an avenue and a river are collective. The idea is not that there is just one single tree, but an entire park with rows of trees alongside the river. If this earth is beautiful, my road I live on is beautiful. We drive down the road, I live a little old place where I live, and there's an arch of trees, and the sun shines through it at night, and it captures my heart. How beautiful must it be in a place where God says, this is the ultimate place of beauty and flourishing. This is what we have to look forward to. But this is only this is, this is, these are only the appetizers of that because the big thing is the next thing. Number four, there is a throne in the city and someone who occupies the throne. No longer will there be anything accursed, verse three, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him and they will see his face. He'll put his mark on them. So a real throne in the center of the city in the ultimate universe, and on the throne of Lamb, a real throne was symbolic of God's ultimate rule, God's ultimate authority, and, and, and an intimation of intimacy as well. So there's this tension that we sometimes notice in church approaches, transcendence and imminence. You ever heard of that? Transcendence and imminence. God is above and beyond and greater and beyond what we can even think or imagine he's that but but yet god through christ is imminent present we have the throne and the face that's awesome to think about it and that comes together in heaven where we will be in awe of the power and order and rule and majesty of god and yet We'll see him face to face. I think this, I, I could be wrong, but I think our brokenness manifests itself in our emotional distance from one another. And that when that's taken away, there'll be this unbroken sweetness of emotional sweetness that we connect not only with one another, but in that way with God. That's what I think. This is what I, I have a longing in my heart. Oh, if we could just not have that understanding, if we could just understand each other, love each other. I think God says, yes, in this place, You'll have intimacy with God. You'll have intimacy with one another. That alone is better than golden streets, trees of life, water. Intimacy that our hearts long for. My goodness, this is the deal. And by the way, men, can I say this? Uh, I, I've, 
I think that's the essence of masculinity, of manhood. And that is that a man has intimacy with God and sees him face to face and brings that God awareness and that God, that, that, that as he worships God, he becomes more and more like God. And in measure, he brings that back into his world. And that's what he uses to bless his world. That's how he blesses his wife when he's been in the presence of God and he's like the Lord. That's how. And we have little moments and glimpses of that. That's how we help a kid, a child that we have, a struggling adult child that needs somebody that's connected with God to get in their life and say, I've been with God. I love you. If you see any accolades for dads today, thank you for whatever it was the dad did. You were the, you were the grillmeister. You took me to my soccer practice. You paid for my braces. Whatever it is, isn't it just like little, like that guy was a little bit like the Lord in that, and he brought that little bit of character, and he blessed his world with it. Man, that's the essence of humanity. But it's the, I think it's the essence of masculinity, what it means to be a human, what it means to be a man, is I have to go in the presence of God and have intimacy with God and then take what I've, into, into my world. Worship, okay, we can sure talk about that a lot. And that, and that spills right into the next one, the, number five, the city will shine with the glory of God. The city will shine with the glory of God. There'll be no night and it will be no, and night will be no more, no need of light or lamp or sun. For the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever. And in, in the places of the Bible when it says no moon, it says it in the same way in every place, no need of light or moon. Some Bible scholars, the, the, the Randy Alcorn book I've talked about, he, he said in his book, and some theorize, doesn't mean there won't be suns or moons. It means they won't be needed. doesn't mean there won't be lamps or lights. It means they won't be needed. Maybe there will be the, for beautiful decor. How's that, Hope? Is that better? Because Hope was struggling with no moons in heaven. Maybe they'll be there, but they won't be needed. The Bible just says they won't be needed. Nonetheless, nonetheless, what light will be there will be glorious light. And will be sufficient and, 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 and great sufficient light. There may be, um, the, 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 the essence is the presence of God. Chapter 21 and verse 23, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and its, light, and its lamp is the lamb. My wife has a lot of qualities that I love. One of them is the ability to decorate and make a place seem so cozy and intimate and warm and, and welcoming. And she does it often with light. There's a little light over here. Lois and I are different people, so we frequently don't agree on certain things, but there are certain things we both powerfully agree on. And a number of years ago, she bought a little light and she put it in the kitchen and she left it on at night. And I said, I love that light. She goes, I do too. I'm like, amazing. We agreed on that. And, and I said, we should always have the light on in the kitchen. She says, yeah. And so we always say the light is always on in the kitchen. And we agree on that. Because there's something beautiful about light. Now, whatever that is, God says he'll be the light in heaven. The, <laughs> the atmosphere, the beauty, the, 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 the heart of heaven. Oh, my and understand this, worship transforms 
if you've heard me preach and you've been listening, you know that I believe the number one weapon against sin is worship. Because sin is usually idolatry. So when we put our heart on something we shouldn't put our heart on, instead of God, that's when we sin. And when we calibrate, you want a Bible verse for that? They're, the Bible's full of them. 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with open face beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are changed, transformed into his likeness, into his glory. From one level of glory to another, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3.18. There is an ultimate place of healing, an ultimate place of health, an ultimate place of satisfaction, an ultimate place of security, an ultimate place of life, and an ultimate place of life. And it's the, the presence of the Lamb, Jesus, and we're going there if we believe in him. And this is essentially the end of the Bible right here. This is the end of the story right here. The rest is epilogue. We'll get to that next week in a wonderful epilogue. But this is it. You just heard the, the, the end game of the Bible, borrowing your term, Neil. This is the end right here. When we read this and we believe, we know what's eternal. We know what's enduringly worthy. We want to make it to this city forever. Amen? We, <laughs> and you sounded so Presbyterian right there. Okay. Sorry, Susie, I didn't mean that. It sounded reserved and thoughtful is what I meant. We want our families to gather around the throne in this city of gardens and rivers and the grand golden translucent boulevard with the trees of life and the blossoming banks of the great crystal river flowing away from the throne of the Lamb. And we have an inkling that we're living in a land of beautiful and endearing shadows right now, a shadow land. C.S. Lewis called it. This is the ultimate place, so we don't want to be preoccupied. We don't want to be distracted. We don't want to be discouraged. We don't want to be seduced by this world. We've got that world to look forward to. Let's have a little fun here uh, to make a point. You've been to the Texas Roadhouse? Yeah. So, Louis and I like to go to the Texas Roadhouse. I'm going to school you on this. The best thing to have is steak. <laughs> Just saying. But the second best thing they have is rolls. <laughs> really good. They make them in a window right there while you're waiting. Right there in a window, they're like making these yeast rolls. And they bring them hot to your table with cinnamon butter. Notice I put this illustration at the very end of my message. 20, 30 minutes, I'll be done here. <laughs> they give you this cinnamon roll, cinnamon butter, and then they bring them to the table. You got to be really careful at the Texas Roadhouse. You eat too many of those, you're not going to be hungry when your steak gets there. You and Lois and I and, and you, you all, we go to dinner at the Texas Roadhouse. We sit down, we're talking, they bring the rolls. I go... I take them over here, and then I get the butter, and I'm like eating them. You're looking at each other like, this actually wouldn't happen because my wife would give me the royal beatdown if I did that personally and publicly. But anyway, it's a story, and it's my story. So I'm just eating them, all the rolls, and you guys are kind of looking at each other like, <laughs> he's eating rolls inside. <laughs> no wonder he's 
And uh, people across the way are going, they're whispering, you know, they're like, I got the little rolls, I got the butter, I got the little plates all up right here by me, and I'm, I'm just eating them. And, and the people across the way are looking, and they're going, they're whispering among each other. And pretty soon, there are knowing glances among the parties at the table. And I eat them all. And nobody says anything. Like I said, I'm making this story up. Nobody says anything, but they kind of look at each other. And the waitress comes by and says, oh, you're out of rolls. You need any more? I go, yeah, we're good, we're good. <laughs> and you guys are like, <laughs> Then the steak comes, and I go, man, I... I'm full already. <laughs> kind of odd. The sizzling steaks are there. You go, well, if you have any trouble with your steak, I can help you eat it. Listen, folks, <laughs> this world is good, but it's not ultimate. It's best enjoyed in moderation, like an appetizer. And shared with other people, <laughs> not, not hog to yourself. It's supposed to be shared freely with others. The steaks are coming soon. So we want you to enjoy the appetizer, but share the appetizer, but save room for the main course. And since I have time for a second ending story, <laughs> this is why you keep that service moving, James, just for... One more little, but in all seriousness, you know, that, that was a silly example. H have you heard this phrase before? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Have you heard that? He is no fool. Everybody's heard that. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That was, who said that? Yeah, you knew that. Jim Elliott, who he, he gave his life like a meteor in his youth and died a martyr's death, didn't he? Laid down his life. A great flaming instant martyr's death. Did, have you, how many of you ever heard of Bert Elliott? Bert Elliott. Anybody? Bert is Jim's brother. Yeah. About the time Jim Elliott went to Ecuador and died, Bert Elliott went to Peru. And he served in Peru for the rest of his life as a missionary. Jim laid his, laid his life down like a meteor, but Bert rose like a little star on the horizon. Every morning for over 50 years, Bert gave his life for Christ in Peru. Both of them had their hearts fixed on things that were ultimate, not things that were temporary. They had this city, this land in mind. They are now in the presence of the Lord. Where is your heart right now? Are you discouraged? Are you seduced? Are you distracted? Or are you worshiping the lamb on the throne? The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb to the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. And they will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and forever. 
Let's keep our eyes on this glowing city, the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, the throne of the Lamb. Never lose sight of the place where we will spend all of eternity after a few short years of struggle here. There will be a regeneration someday, a restoration someday, an eternal state, an ultimate universe someday. Never look away from it. The throne in heaven, the ultimate throne in the ultimate universe. Amen and amen. Before we go today, I need to say something about something I said a few weeks ago. Sometimes I, I'm not as careful as I should be, and I said something a few weeks ago. I just want to clarify this. I, I, a few weeks ago, I was speaking in a denigrating way about how dry moon pies were. <laughs> and some of our people... A significant number of them, in particular Eddie Beasley. Um, Eddie, come up here. He took umbrage with me, and I need to make this right. And, uh, and so we want to make this right today. So for all of you that are men, on the way out today, we want you to have a moon pie and an RC, <laughs> and an RC cola, and, uh, and lest we descend into frivolous levity, uh, where we've been a lot today, um, let's, Eddie, bless the people today in Jesus' name. And then there will be a song that you want to listen to on your way out so that you'll remember this. Eddie, would you? And no. I